The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 16th chapter. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he sternly ordered the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah, the gospel of the Lord. You may be seated, and the children may come forward for a children's sermon. Are you? How many of you went back to school this week? Yeah? How was it? It was great. Good? Some good, some bad? Yeah? Isn't that cool? You see all kinds of people, don't you? All kinds of people. Oh, you're in the classes together? Uh, how about that? Well, I got a question for you. And sometimes you see it at school, and sometimes you see it at home, and sometimes you see it out and about. But I got a question. How do you know when to forgive someone? Yeah. When they do something really, really, really bad. When they do something bad, right? Okay. I think that definitely helps us get into the mindset of it. Do you forgive them right away? No? Yes? You got mixed understandings. That's good, because it's a mixed answer. Sometimes we forgive pretty quickly. Sometimes we don't. When are we supposed to forgive? Yeah. All the time. All right. But I got another question for you. Are you supposed to say out loud when something's not being done right? When two people aren't getting along or when somebody's not getting along with you? Are you supposed to say it when you're not getting along with someone? Just depends. It just depends. Yeah, is that person's different? Ah. Or if it's a bully? If it's a bully, then maybe you'll call it out. If it's your friend, maybe you'll try to see if something changes, right? Yeah. It gets kind of complicated, doesn't it? Yeah. It gets hard to know what to do 
when something wrong is being done, even though we're pretty sure we're supposed to forgive, right? That's kind of what Jesus was talking about today when he was talking with Peter. Peter correctly says that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, which sounds pretty good. But then Jesus says that his whole church is going to be built on Peter, and that whatever Peter binds or doesn't forgive isn't forgiven in heaven, and whatever Peter looses or lets go of or forgives will be loosed in heaven. Now, that's all fancy words for forgive and not forgive. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah, he's kind of the, the centerpiece. It's not that the church is built on top of him and Peter's stuck underneath. It's that, it's that he's the centerpiece. He's, he's kind of the one that holds it all together, isn't he? Which is kind of a lot of work, isn't it? But Peter had to deal with this question just like you and I have to deal with this question. What do you forgive? And what do you not forgive? Good. I'm glad you do. Here's a clue. When someone's sorry, when someone does something wrong, you forgive the person. But you also always stand up and say when something is wrong. You don't have to say that when somebody does something that they're doing it okay. You can say in the same breath that they're forgiven and that they're wrong. That they're forgiven and that they're wrong. After all, aren't you wrong sometimes? Yeah, yeah. sometimes. sometimes. Uh, aren't you forgiven sometimes? All the time. And the same goes for everybody else. You're forgiven? You're always forgiven. And God always loves you. But that doesn't mean that God won't say when you're not doing as well as you possibly could. So, this week, I want, to, I want you to look for all the things that you see in school and all the things that you see around the house and all the things that you see wherever you go. Things that are being done well and things that are being done wrong. You are someone that can forgive when things need forgiving. And you are also someone that can say things are wrong when they're being done wrong. Does that sound like a lot of work? Yeah. Does that sound like a little bit of work? Yeah. Are we a little bit tired? Yep, yep. First day back to school. Ooh, that's nice. Well, any kind of bunny is a good bunny. Tell you what, how about we pray? Sound good? Let's pray. God, we give you thanks. We give you thanks for forgiveness. We give you thanks for how freely you love us and forgive us when we're wrong and when we're doing things wrong. And we ask that you might give us power and strength and grace and love to be able to forgive others just as you forgive us and to be able to stand up for others when things are being done wrong. Thank you for building your church in and through Peter and build your church through us too. In your name we pray. Amen.
In the name of Jesus, amen. Exciting times here at Trinity. <sighs> so, today's uh, text is one that's pretty familiar to a lot of us. The great Peter, special office of Peter. Sometimes it's called the office of the keys. Whatever you bind will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose will be loosed in heaven. Binding and loosing. Not forgiving and forgiving. This is a mighty office. And, as some of you might know, this is an office that's highlighted for every pastor, every single one of them, during their ordination. There's a certain set of texts that are read at every ordination, and this is one of them. A reminder to every single pastor that the office of binding and loosing is an important one, one not to be taken lightly. However, we do not see in this text that this office is only for Peter. We do not see in this text that this office is only for pastors. This office, just like most Christian things, are for us all. For us all. Let's quickly do some work with the text. It seems that Peter's answer on who they say Jesus is and Peter's job, Peter's new responsibility of binding and loosing is connected to one another. And if we read it straight through, it might seem something like this. Jesus asks who others say the Son of Man is and they answer a series of historical figures that are center points in the Jewish faith. And all are ideas, but not quite close. Then Jesus asks who they say he is. And Peter, very faithfully and pretty confidently, says the Messiah. And then Jesus, in hearing this, names Peter the rock, well, names Simon, son of Jonah, the rock, and gives him that office of the keys. Whatever you bind will be bound. Whatever you loose will be loosed. When you read it just like that, it might seem like because of Peter's correct answer, Peter now has a new job. Almost like if Bartholomew would have said the same thing, he would have got the job. He just wasn't quick enough, right? But this, is, this isn't quite, I think, what we're supposed to gain from this text. It's not because Peter's quick on his feet that he gets this job, but it's because he recognizes exactly who the Messiah is by the grace of God, and because he identifies him in that fashion that he's given this job. Peter recognizes Jesus as the Messiah, and the Messiah is the anointed one from whom we learn, 
from whom we are given grace and by whom we are saved. When Peter recognizes Jesus as the Messiah, he's not just recognizing correctly an identification of someone, he's also recognizing the primacy of that individual, of Jesus, in everyday life. Peter is oriented towards Jesus as a follower, as a learner, as a disciple, and eventually as an apostle. What Jesus says is what is good for Peter's life. And so, when Jesus says that whatever Peter binds will be bound and whatever Peter looses will be loosed, he is confident that that will be the same in heaven, not because heaven will follow Peter's suit, but because Peter already follows the Messiah. Peter does what Jesus would do. Peter does what Jesus would have Peter do. Peter is following Jesus, and in that, he is responsible with the keys. When I was young, my parents didn't let us drive the farm machinery very easily. There was a series of tests that you had to go through, mostly made up by my mother, so that you could prove that you were responsible in operating the machinery. She would have you do a little course so that she could see that you could pull wagons through and back wagons up and move the tractor where it needed to be moved without running over anything. She would give you scenarios. Okay, you're parked on a hill. Let me see you turn it on, drive it, turn it off, all pretending that you're on a hill or wherever you are. And so, if you pressed on the clutch in order to start the tractor without pressing on the brake, that would have meant you slid backwards down the hill. And that was wrong. You had certain scenarios that you had to get through. Basically, the way that we learned is by going over it time and time and time again with mom or with dad. And eventually, when we would act like, mom or dad would act like in every situation, we were good enough for the keys to the tractor. I mean, the keys were always in the tractor, but you know what I'm saying. <laughs> Peter is given this responsibility, not because he's quick on his feet, not because he has the right answers, but because he's doing what Jesus would do. And that's who's given the responsibility and the office of the keys. You act like Jesus would act. You do what Jesus would do. You bind what Jesus would bind, and you loose what Jesus would loose. You forgive where Jesus would forgive, and you say a confident no, where things are not okay with Jesus, with the gospel. That's the office of the keys. And so today, I have a special field trip planned. And I did have to write these down because I can't memorize everything. I want everybody to take the red book, the red hymnal in front of them, out. I want you to turn to the little number, so the pages in the front, not the hymn numbers, not the big ones, but the little number, 238. Little number 238 in the front of your book. Now I believe it should, like corporate, it should look like corporate confession and forgiveness. 
little number 238. Now in this, it probably looks pretty similar to what we do at the beginning of every service. Together we confess our sins. Together we hear absolution. And it's very significant that together we are confessing and that when someone stands up and says that you are forgiven, are they... Let's just ask the question. As you read through this, I'll give you a hint, it comes towards the end, but as you read through this, by whose authority are you forgiven? Who knew there was going to be a test today? God, as a called and ordained minister of the Church of Christ, and by his authority, Christ Jesus. It's not by Peter's authority, because Peter was quick on his feet. It's not by my authority, because I get to wear the nice little plastic tab every day. But it's by Christ's authority. By doing what Christ would do, by binding what Christ would bind, and by loosing what Christ would loose. God would have you be loosed. God would have you unrestrained and unshackled from your sins. Your chains are gone. Turn to page 243. And this should look like individual confession and forgiveness. Raise your hand if you knew we had a section for individual confession and forgiveness in the Lutheran Church. <laughs> yeah, yeah, kind of, kind of. That was, that was a very children's sermon type answer. <laughs> kind of. Yeah. This is very important for us to be able to find some kind of way when we don't know how to be able to honestly admit what we've done. And more and more, I don't know about you, but I see this lacking in our society. Where is their confession? Where is their being able to say out loud and being called to say out loud what we have done wrong and to honestly admit to our own failures. This is needed. This is good. Not that it feels good, but that it's cleansing. Many, many children run from bath time, but it's still good for them. And we seem to run from ours as well. From the daily death and rising that we experience in baptism. The daily confession and forgiveness. Once again, not by my authority and not by Peter's, but by Christ. One final stop on our grand tour of forgiveness. I want you to turn to page 321. Little numbers, 321. Now this is a section that comes to us from the Compline service. The Lutheran Church also has prayer services for the hours of the day. There's some in the morning, there's some at midday, there's some in the evening, and there's some at the close of day, whenever your work is done. Compline, 
completion comes at the close of day. Now you'll see it begins with some sung things that call us to attention, but then there's also an opportunity for confession and forgiveness. Now, on page 321, in those bolded confession and forgiveness statements, on the left side, you'll see the opportunity for what seems pretty standard, but on the right side, you'll see a very unique experience of confession and forgiveness, where as a whole, parts of the congregation or a leader of the people will confess, will hear that confession, and then proclaim that forgiveness, and then the leader will confess and proclaim and hear that proclamation of forgiveness from the people. It's a call and response sense of forgiveness. If we were to use this in our setting, I would listen to your confession, I would proclaim your forgiveness by the grace of God, and then you would hear my confession, and you would forgive me by the grace of God. This is what the Office of the Keys looks like in everyday life. We are not, any one of us, strictly the key holder or strictly the confessor. We take our turns. Some of us at times saying what we have done wrong and hearing that gracious forgiveness by the grace of God and some of us at times being the one who hear the wrongs of our people and proclaiming graciously what God would have us forgive. As you look at the news and as you read the paper and as you go throughout your life this week, I invite you to dwell on those keys, to consider what God would forgive and what God would have a firm no to, to recognize how hard it is to tell, and then in prayer and in grace, forgive and be forgiven. Thanks be to God for such an office. Thanks be to God for such an opportunity to forgive and be forgiven. Thanks be to God for the, albeit resistant, act of confession.